This morning, I want to focus on a statement that was made 48 hours ago by our Secretary of Defense, Chuck Hagel. He'd been out on a trip, a foreign trip, out in the far east. He was there in China. He moved from China over to Japan. He had a very important inspection tour because I don't know if you're aware of it or not. China is quickly becoming the most powerful military nation in the world. They are putting together and purchasing more armament than any nation in the world at this time. Within a couple of months, at the most a year or so away, China is going to be the number one military operation in the entire world, surpassing the United States of America. Uh, That's why one of the reasons President Obama went out to the Far East and uh, had a policy change in some of his focus on foreign policy. Uh, But Chuck Hagel, Secretary of Defense, returned to the United States, stopping over in San Diego there, addressing some of the military men that were there. And he told those personnel a very interesting statement. Here's the statement he made. He said, I've just returned from a travel around the world, and I want to tell you the world is exploding all over. I can guarantee in 2016, you're going to see that statement in many political ads. But it is so significant as we look at Bible prophecy. He went ahead to expand on his statement that the world is exploding all over. He talked about what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. And I can tell you, having listened to the latest news on the BBC Broadcasting Company before I came over here to church this, after, this morning, I can tell you that they reported that 350 semi-trailer trucks loaded with supposedly humanitarian aid are quickly approaching the eastern borders of the Ukraine. I can tell you that 48 hours ago, there was an attack by the Ukraine military might on some convoy of Russian tanks and Russian equipment inside the borders of the eastern Ukraine. I can tell you that because I talked with Colonel Bob McGinnis yesterday afternoon on my radio. He's the head of the strategic planning at the Pentagon, a very interesting decision made to watch what's happening there. And the Russians are gathering their forces, massing their forces on the border of the Ukraine. And that's one of the things that Chuck Hagel, Secretary of Defense, brought to our attention. And then he quickly shifted to the Gaza Strip and what's been going on for the last six weeks as the Israeli Defense Force has gone in and tried to shut down the Uh, bombs that have been fired over the rockets, those Katusha rockets, and all those GAD rockets. Those are GAD rockets from Iran. I went into Ashkelon. I saw one of the remains of those rockets. It said, GAD rocket manufactured in Iran. Those rockets that the Palestinians are making there in the Gaza Strip are capable of reaching Eshkelon and Starot and some of these other countries that have been battered by those rockets. But in order to reach Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, and as far north as Haifa, they had to have these rockets that were produced in Iran. And that is absolute in knowledge. As far as the world is concerned, the Iranians are supplying the Hamas terrorist organization. I understand that you are reading and hearing in the news 
that over 2,000 Palestinians have been killed and about 68 Israelis have been killed in this battle. And that doesn't seem to be proportionally correct. But let me tell you, collateral damage is an absolute. But other than that, I have to tell you that Hamas is using human shields. I'm not making a statement on guess or what some journalists told me. I have absolute proof that they are using human shields. They're telling the children and the women and the elderly to go up on top of buildings. So when those F-16 Israeli jets come flying over, there's going to be collateral damage. And Hamas has won. They didn't win the battle on the ground, but they won the battle in PR. They have turned the opinion of the world against the Jewish state of Israel. Anti-Semitism has expanded by unbelievable amounts in the last six weeks. That battle is probably going to continue on. They're at the negotiating table right now as I stand here speaking to you in Cairo. But Hamas has already said we're not going to stop unless they open up all of our borders. Israel would be absolutely crazy to open up the borders of Hamas and the Gaza Strip. That would allow them to bring mightier ammunition in that they could try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. He also talked about, and something that may not be in the news as much, Hamas has also gone to the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the third most important city in all of the world for the Muslim people, Mecca, Medina, and then Jerusalem. Albeit Jerusalem is not mentioned in the Quran, it's the third most important city. The Jewish people have determined that that's the location where they're going to build their next temple. They're about ready to build that temple. All the evidence is there. They could start the construction of that temple at any moment once that Dome of the Rock is removed. And of course, the Islamic world recognizes that. There's a big battle going on in the Israeli Knesset for the right for Jews to go up onto the Temple Mount. And every time they even have a committee meeting there in the Knesset, Hamas sends its radical Islamic fundamentalist up on the Temple Mount uh, to demonstrate, to throw rocks, to burn buildings down, everything else. And I can also tell you that Chuck Hagel was focused on Syria and Iraq and what's going on there. Within the last 12 hours, 300 men had to bow down and they were slaughtered by ICE, the Islamic State. Al-Baghdadi has put in place a caliphate. That's a worldwide, that's a Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Arabic word for worldwide dominion kingdom. He is the caliph, which means he's the religious leader. They are continuing to expand. Within the last 48 hours, they've gone into Lebanon. Now, what I just did was give you a litany of political activities that Chuck Hagel was talking about. His observations as he reported to the United States military personnel in San Diego. What is so interesting to me, if you have an understanding of God's prophetic scenario for the last days, that's exactly what you would see forecast for the end times. It's like the prophets of old pre-wrote history. And so for the next moments that we have, I want to take you to the word of God and look at what is unfolding. Take your Bibles. Go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. I'll get there with you in just a moment. You know that if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be using microphone stands and a Bible to teach. And so there's the first microphone stand. There's a pulpit there. I'm going to bring another microphone stand over here. 
And these three items represent the three main events in the future. As you study God's word, I'll not take it to to the word of God. But this microphone stand here represents the next event, which is the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. The rapture of the church, the next main event in God's calendar of activities. By the way, that's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 1 where the revelator, John the Apostle, said, I heard as it were a trumpet talking with me. I know trumpets don't talk. I know. I have one. I have a Bach Stradivarius trumpet. I've been playing it for 60 years. But it doesn't talk to me ever. So I know they don't talk. That's an apocalyptic phrase, uh, which in both Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Revelation is what the Lord uses in the literature there. Apocalyptic coming from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means to reveal, foretell, to make known, to prophesy. And what you do when you see a passage in one of these four books that's apocalyptic, it's a symbol, a literal symbol communicating a literal truth, you then try to find a passage of scripture that would help you interpret that. It's called inductive Bible study. And when you think about the fact that a trumpet would talk and call us from here on the earth into the heavenlies, you have to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. That's the rapture of the church, and that's foretold there in chapter 4, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 2 through 1910 describes a seven-year period of time. Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 29 referred to it as the tribulation period. It's a time of judgment, seven years, unfolding judgments, three sets of seven judgments each. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments. And those are for the purpose of bringing the earth and earth dwellers under submission. And so God the Father can then give Jesus Christ the Son his kingdom. So this is Revelation 4.1, Revelation 4.2 to 19.10, those 16 chapters giving us the details of the seven-year period of time. Chapter 19.11, Jesus gets on a white horse, 19.14, you and I join him on white horses. We come back to the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, and that is the second coming or the return of Jesus to the earth. After that, the Battle of Armageddon takes place, chapter 19, verses 12 and following. And then that thousand-year period of time, chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, gives us that number for a thousand-year kingdom. This is when Jesus Christ receives his kingdom. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, the Ancient of Days, the Most High God, that's two names used in Daniel, for God the Father will give the Son of Man, that's the name he refers to Jesus as, his kingdom, his dominion, and it will be forever. And it's when he sees him coming in the clouds, Jesus, in fact, confirmed that would be the sign, Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31. Here's a sign, when you see me coming in the clouds, you know I'm coming to receive my kingdom, and that's what the text concludes for us. At the end of that thousand-year period of time, the great white throne judgment, when everybody who of their own free will made a decision they don't want to receive Jesus Christ, do you hear what I said? From their own free will, they make that decision. They don't want to receive Jesus Christ. They are then cast into the lake of fire at this terrible time of judgment called the great white throne. And then eternity future, new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. If you found chapter 38 of the book of Ezekiel, I want to show you what's going to happen in this seven-year period of time after the rapture and before the second coming and its connection to what is going on 
in our world today. You have probably heard maybe messages preached, maybe read articles, even read books about Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38 is the one of three passages that deals with the nations, particularly in the Middle East, with the exception of one, who are going to form an alliance to try to wipe out the Jewish people of Israel. Uh, That would include not only Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, where in Psalm 83, verse 4, it says they come together, they have a council meeting, they come out of the council meeting, and they say, we must wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that her name be forgotten forever. And when you go to Daniel chapter 11, you'll see that the nations of Syria and Egypt are going to be the first two nations to make a move against the Jewish state of Israel. The major player in this alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel is going to be given to us right here in the text. It may not be a name you recognize, but when I explain, you'll understand. Ezekiel 38 and verse 2. Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Now that's the person in the land of Magog. Now keep your finger right here. We're going to come back to it. But go to Genesis just for a second. Genesis chapter 10. You might remember how Genesis unfolds. Chapter 1 is creation. 2, the special effects of creation. Chapter 3, the fall of man. Chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. Chapter 5, a genealogy. Chapter 6, 7, and 8, Noah and the flood. Chapter 9 is Noah after the flood. Look at chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish or repeople the earth. Go to chapter 10, and we see the record of at least the beginning of obedience to what the Lord told Noah and his sons to do. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. Here are the sons of Jepheth, Gomer. Magog, skip a couple, Meshach, Tubal, go to the last one, Tagarma. And when we go back to Ezekiel 38, we'll see those are the nations that are talked about in Bible prophecy. These were the grandsons of Noah, the sons of Jepheth, 4,500 years ago. Look at verse 5 of chapter 10. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. Nations come into existence because of what happened following the command of Jesus at the end of the time of the flood, chapter 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Genesis. And so these boys are going to get born raise a family, teach them a new language, because remember the Lord came and confused the languages. From that point, they are going to go forth and they're going to do what the Lord told them to do, go out to repeople the earth. Any biblical geographical expert will tell you what happened was that Magog went north of the Caspian and Black Sea. Magog went up into what we know today as Russia. And at that time in history, Russia included what we know today as the Ukraine. The Ukraine and Russia were major players at that point in time. They will be major players in the end times. If this wall back here would be the Ukraine, over there where that uh, screen is, that would be the western shore of the Ukraine. Its borders would be with the European Union, Poland, Slovakia, Macedonia, Over here to this screen, if that was the map of the Ukraine, that would be Russia 
all along the entire border. At that border right there, the Russian military might have 40,000 soldiers or massed, 350 vehicles are on their way to try to cross into the Ukraine. If you divide the Ukraine where the cross is, you would have the Eastern Ukraine, the Western Ukraine. Over here, it's Russian speakers. Over there, it's those who are Ukrainian speakers, but their favor is toward the European Union. Where this pulpit and platform is located, this would be Crimea. You would be the Black Sea out there. So that you have geographical understanding, Russia in the east of the Ukraine has to have this piece of real estate for a buffer zone. Do you not remember Napoleon in the 1800s? He came out of France moving across the Ukraine to go into Russia. Do you not remember World War II when Adolf Hitler came across the Ukraine to go into Russia? Adolf Hitler was a bit more successful than Napoleon, because he killed 10 million Russians. Vladimir Putin, one of the smartest men in all of history, all of history, knows exactly what he is doing. What happened before they invaded Crimea? We had a world-watched Olympics in Russia. Do you not think that Vladimir Putin had thought about the Crimea before the last day of the Olympics. You think he woke up, oh, that morning, I, I got to take Crimea. You know I had to take Crimea? In the north of Russia, it's ice. The only warm water port that he has is in the Black Sea. And Crimea has to be the headquarters for his military naval operation, for his merchants ships that are going to travel. You come out of the Black Sea, you go into the Mediterranean, and you have all, all of the rest of the waterways of the world. Vladimir Putin, one of the richest men, worth 72 billion, that's a B. Makes Bill Gates look like a piper. 72 billion dollars. He paid for the Olympics himself, out of his pocket. The man is brilliant and a great strategist. He brought our president to his knees. And why? Because Bible prophecy. Ezekiel 38 says, coming to power will be Magog. Magog. If you read the rest of that passage, you would see that Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma are brothers of Magog. Back over in chapter 10 of Genesis, it says that here in Ezekiel chapter 38, it reveals another nation. Who would that be? I was just in Turkey doing another DVD documentary on the seven churches of Asia Minor. While they're picking up a Turkish map, you know what it said? When it was Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, it was divided into four parts, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Tagarma. And do you know what just happened this last week? Tayyip Erdogan, a radical Islamist, for the first time in the history of the state of Turkey, was elected to be president of the nation. And they're calling him now the new dictator of Turkey. And the line was going to come together. God wrote this through the ancient Jewish prophet Ezekiel some 2,500 years ago. We're reading about it on the pages of our newspaper, listening to the radio broadcasts and TV program newscasts that are coming. 
It's already in the word of God many years ago. If you've got Ezekiel, now go back to chapter 35. First focus that Chuck Hagel brought to the world's attention when he returned from his Far East trip was what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. And by the way, tonight I'm going to explain just one bit further information that you need to have in this context. We'll look at the revival of the Roman Empire, which I would have to tell you the European Union is at least the infrastructure for. And so in the end times, when this is going to happen, immediately after the rapture of the church, there's going to be two major players in the world. That would be Russia with their alignment of Middle Eastern nations, and it would be the revived Roman Empire. And these two will be vying for control of the world. And we're going to watch as what the text tells us will happen at that time. Chapter 35 of the book of Ezekiel is in the midst of a group of messages of restoration. Book of Ezekiel, the last 16 chapters talk about restoration. But in the midst of that series of messages, we see a message of retribution. Chapter 35, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee. I have stretched out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. And I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And then he gives two reasons that Mount Seir has such a tough pronouncement of judgment. Verse 5, Because thou hast a perpetual hatred, and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword. Look at verse 10. Because thou hast said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess it, whereas the Lord was there. Thou shalt know, verse 12, Thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that I have heard all thy blasphemies which thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel. These people of Mount Seir will speak blasphemy against God, saying, this is our land, we're going to take it. I guess it would be important to find out who Mount Seir is. Mount Seir is mentioned in the 36th chapter of the book of Genesis. You might remember the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis, when there were twin boys born to Rebekah and Isaac. Rebecca, while the boys were in her womb, they started to struggle and she went to the Lord, why is this happening? And he said to Rebecca, the mother of these twins, Jacob and Esau, there are two manner of people within thy womb, two nations within thy womb, and the elder will serve the younger, which is contradictory to tradition at that time. The elder was to be served by the younger, but that was the opposite of what Jesus said to Rebecca. By the way, all that conniving that went on between Rebekah and Jacob against Esau and Isaac the father did not have to happen if she had just paid attention to the Lord. It did happen, however, and Jacob got the blessing. He got the birthright. And then Esau, because of what had happened, the way he had been connived out of what was rightfully his, said, I'm going to kill Jacob. Jacob went up into modern-day Turkey to Haran. There he met two sisters, Rebekah and Leah, and he married them. They had 11 of the 12 sons of Israel. And Rebekah comes back with Jacob into the land of the Bible, into Israel, over to Bethlehem, Euphrates. There she gives birth to Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin, the 12th of the 12 sons, they will ultimately become the 12 tribes of Israel and then the state of 
Israel, the Jewish state in the Middle East today. Esau, because of the fact that, and when Jacob did come back many years after he had left in fear of his own life, he, he realized that ultimately what was going to take place is they were going to have to coexist. When you read the seventh verse in chapter 36 of the book of Genesis, you're going to find out that they were coexisting together, but both of them became so prosperous, the Lord couldn't leave them in the same land. Chapter 37, verse one of the book of Genesis, God allows Jacob to say in the land of promise that he is was going to give to the Jewish people because ultimately Jacob is the father of the Israel people today. But old Jacob was sent to Israel and Esau, his brother, was sent to a place in chapter 36, verse 8, called Mount Seir. Mount Seir is who this is talking about and it's the descendants of Esau. Mount Seir would become the lower, th- it was the lower third of modern day Jordan. It would become Edom because Esau's name was changed to Edom. They went to a location where they headquartered called Petra. There in Petra, they set up their headquarters. Before they got to Petra, at Rephidim, they tried to wipe out the Israelites when Moses was leading them towards the promised land. Why at Rephidim? Who was it at Rephidim? The Amalekites. Who were the Amalekites? They were descendants of Amalek. Who was Amalek? He was the grandson of Esau. Chapter 36, verse 12 of the book of Genesis. They failed there. And then when God brought Samuel as a prophet to King Saul, he anointed him first as the first king of Israel. Then he came with another message in 1 Samuel 15, and he told Saul to kill all the Amalekites, every one of them. He didn't do it. He didn't even kill the king. And so old Samuel the prophet took him down to Gilgal, there between the Jericho River and uh, the city of, excuse me, the Jordan River and the city of Jericho. And there he chopped him up in little pieces. By the way, if you don't believe that, go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 33. When God says to do something, he says to do it the way I said it. I had an Israeli general not too long ago tell me the problem today in Israel is because King Saul wasn't obedient in 1 Samuel. If he had killed the Amalekites, the people today would not be trying to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. By the way, if you want to see the connection, Agag was the name of the king of the Amalekites. When you go to chapter 3 of the book of Esther, you'll see that Haman, the villain of Esther, was an Agagite, descendant of Agag. And when you look at the family line from Haman all the way to the time of Christ, you'll see that Herod the Great was a... Have you been paying attention? From Esau to Amalek to Agag to Haman, to Herod the Great. What was their desire? Every one of them, kill the Jews. I don't have time to trace it. I can trace from 70 AD where the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth. I can trace where the Edomians, that's the name for the Edomites, when they go into southern Judah. And I can trace until the Brits, General Allenby, defeated the Turkish Empire in the Jezreel Valley, 1917. 
And then he named a man named Husseiniel Husseini to be the mayor of Jerusalem, who had a nephew whose name was Amman el Husseini. Went to Mecca, he became the titled Hajiman el Husseini. 1941, Adolf Hitler invited Hajiman el Husseini, who had become the Mufti of Jerusalem, highest ranking Muslim cleric in the Arab world. And they met and put a plan together to wipe the Jews off. Hitler had put up a one million watt radio station on the shores of the Mediterranean in Monaco. And there, Hajiman el Husseini called for the Palestinians of the world and the Islamic peoples wipe out the Jews. Oh, by the way, he went back to Jerusalem, the War of Independence, 1948. He died, but he had a nephew whose name was Yasser Arafat. From one end to the other. All of this being set up. Hamas is a result of the peoples who trained Yasser. You know who the first graduate of the school of terrorism was for the Muslim Brotherhood? Yasser Arafat. You know who another one was? Sheikh Hussein, who came into the Gaza Strip 26 years ago and established a group called Hamas. And they're the ones today in a battle all talked about by Ezekiel 2,500 years ago. Go over to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. When you're studying Bible prophecy, there's three books that you have to put together in order to see everything that is going to happen. In chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, this is the midpoint of the tribulation period. John the Revelator is given instruction to do something. Look what it says. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave it out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city. Nehemiah 11, 2 is Jerusalem. The holy city shall they tread down 42 months. Jerusalem is that third hot spot. Oh, maybe not publicized as much in the news media, but if you look at the media of Israel, you'll realize on a daily basis, the Islamic world is fighting for total control of the city of Jerusalem. And the particular focus is on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. John the Revelator says at the midway point of the tribulation, there's going to be a temple there. We know there is no temple there. There's a gold dome building on top of that location called the Dome of the Rock. And underneath that dome of the rock is the foundation stone. And every Jew and every Muslim scholar will tell you that is the location where Abraham, excuse me, where God created Adam and Eve. And Abraham is the peak of Mount Moriah, offered his son Isaac. And I could go on and on. Solomon built a temple there. Zerubbabel returned from the Babylonian capital, built a temple there. And it's the location where Jesus Christ one day, Ezekiel chapter 40 to 46, 202 detailed verses of that temple he will build. Zechariah 6, 12, he builds it. He rules and reigns from there. Zechariah 6, 13, forever. It's that temple mount. And the Islamic world knows that. The Bible says in Joel chapter 2 and verse 3, Joel 1 says, blow the trumpet in Zion, prepare for war. 
And verses two and three talk about the mightiest militia ever formed on the face of the earth will make their way towards the city of Jerusalem to go into the location that's referred to as the Garden of Eden because they know where the Garden of Eden is. It's that Temple Mount. They're ready to build a temple there. This is a brand new exclusive documentary. Nobody has this any place in the world. I talked with Mac, the rabbi who started the whole thing, Nachman Kahana. I asked him, had the Sanhedrin, because they have to manage the temple complex, have they been reformed? He said, they have. I said, how do you know? He said, because I'm the chairman of the group. I asked him about the priestly garments. He said, mine's hanging in my closet, getting ready for me to be, put it on and go to the temple mount. And within the last two weeks, I've talked with the people who are now, a couple of things needed to be done. They are now making that veil of the temple. Do you not remember what happened to the veil of the temple? When Christ was crucified, it split from top to bottom. That veil was five stories high and as thick as my hand. When it split, it opened access into the Holy of Holies for all of us. But in order for that tribulation temple, which is not the ultimate temple that Christ will build, a tribulation temple where the Antichrist will desecrate it, that veil has to be remade and it's almost finished. Chaim Richmond, two weeks ago, announced to the world they've got a red heifer. Well, they had others. And when I was here before, I told you they had a red heifer. That is correct. But as they keep watching it, it develops more than two hairs of red. Now they have a brand new one. They're watching it very carefully. And on and on I could go. This documentary details everything I'm talking about. Oh, by the way, I told you there's going to be a mighty force to come. I told you the Islamic world wants Jerusalem. And so we quickly moved to another venue. Chapter 18 of the book of Revelation says, and another angel came to tell about Babylon, the great city who's just about to be destroyed. Babylon, literal Babylon, present day Babylon is on the shores of the Euphrates River, 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad. And 20 miles away from Baghdad is al-Baghdadi, the leader of ICE, the Islamic State. As I'm speaking, they're defending the dam at Mansoul. Do you know what will happen if they lose that dam? It's on the Euphrates River, one of 21 dams which ultimately could close the Euphrates down for the kings of the east to come in. If they lose that one, they're going to lose the city of Mosul. That's Nineveh in biblical times. And they're going to lose Baghdad through the floodwaters. And al-Baghdadi putting in place a caliphate, worldwide dominion, started in a little piece of Syria, Iraq now is spreading to Baghdad. They're focusing on Saudi Arabia, going in there, and there are Islamic radicals in Saudi Arabia asking them to come in. They took over three major cities in Lebanon. You see, the Lafont, which is what he started, extends from northern Africa all the way to Iraq. They're going to take it all. That's, he said the other day, we'll break every border to get to Jerusalem. 
You know what the text says? You've got, let me close with this. You've got the book of Revelation. Look at verse 18. I mean, chapter 18. And when you get there, I want you to look at three verses very quickly. Chapter 18 and three verses. Look at verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Look at verse 17. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. Look at verse 19. Last part. For in one hour is thy desolation made perfect. Can I tell you something, folks? The last event that Jesus performs before he steps on the Mount of Olives, wipe out Babylon. Before that, a temple in Jerusalem. Before that, the Gaza Strip, a focus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And before that, Russia, the Ukraine, form a coalition to come against the Jewish state. And before that, and we leave going to the heavenlies at the rapture. Father, thank you for this awesome book that you've given us. It's an amazing, articulate, accurate, authoritative book. It gives us a divine description of the end times. And as we watch, as we watch world leaders make statements that the world is exploding all over, we have to recognize the end time scenario found in your word. And by recognizing that scenario as is going to be played out in the end times, we can recognize where we are, Realize we must be prepared, be living pure, and be productive until he does shout for us to enter the heavenlies with him. And as we go into this time of invitation, as pastor concludes, may everything be done to bring honor and glory to yourself.